uh, several weeks, we are on a journey together, uh, taking a verse-by-verse look at Paul's letter to a local church, much like this church, uh, but uh, several hundreds of years ago, the church of Colossae. And we're just going verse-by-verse verse, uh, through the Bible. And today we take a turn after several weeks in chapter 1. Uh, we finally get to get started up in chapter uh, 2 today. And so as you're turning, let me just say uh, to some of you that may be here, this whole church thing is kind of new, or maybe you've been out of church for a while and you're coming back into the church uh, maybe you would uh, describe yourself as skeptical uh, of Jesus or the claims of Jesus. And what we just want to say, uh, we say this often to kind of remind us, and even for those of us who uh, do believe, uh, what we're about to do is you're not here to hear talk from me. I hope that's not why we're here, because uh, we'll be sorely disappointed. We're not even here uh, to look into uh, man's opinions. We're here because we believe as Christians uh, that God wrote a book, that he's revealed himself through the pages uh, of Scripture. So we're here to meet with God. We're here to hear from God. And if that's a hard thing for you to grasp or to, ra- to really accept, uh, let me just ask, if, if you're here and you're skeptical, I'm so glad uh, that you're here. And I hope this is a safe place for you to kind of sort through uh, some of those questions because what we do here at this church every week, we're going to just preach the Bible. Uh, I don't really try to do much else. We just kind of open it up and get look as deep as we can into it uh, because if this really is God's word, we want to know what it says. We want to become like him. So even if you're here and you don't really buy all of this, I hope that you'd be open-minded enough to actually kind of remove some of the skepticism for a little while and lean in. And I think that's why some of you are here, uh, to lean in, to actually say, is this true? And if it's, I want to know what all these Christians believe. And so you have to do something with that. For thousands of years, across all cultures, people have believed this, uh, to be God's word and that Jesus is real. And so I hope that you get some of your questions uh, answer today and keep coming back to ask those uh, questions. But before we jump into the word, uh, let me just uh, ask a question to us a little bit to kind of make us feel what I think's happening in the text this morning, okay? Because we don't want to just read it, unpack it theologically with our head. We really want to kind of look at it and actually feel uh, some of what's happening. So uh, let's just, uh, I'll just kind of check out for a second and then we'll be checking back in in a, in a moment, okay? So please check back in with me in a few minutes. Um, but let's think about this afternoon, Okay? Where you're going to go eat and get a witness? Anybody going to Barb's today? That's where like, a lot of us go after church. Um, so Holy Tacos, where you really need to go, it's good. Those tacos really are holy, set apart. Um, I make that joke a lot. Everyone's like, that's so lame. Stop telling that joke, Derek. We've heard it five times, a uh, hundred times every day. Um, so where are you going for lunch? Um, what you going to do this afternoon? Maybe a nap in the future. Anybody's nap in the future this afternoon? Uh, the weather's nice. Maybe some of you guys want to play an ultimate frisbee or take a walk or going out in the Founders, whatever you're going to do. Um, so what, what your plans are this afternoon, but now let's just have a hypothetical situation. I don't mean to be uh, crass about the situation at all, because uh, many people around the world, this is reality for them. But let's just put ourselves in a make-believe scenario that while uh, I'm preaching, of course, we're not looking at Twitter and Facebook, are we, while I'm preaching, but let's just say that we were, or maybe your, your phone buzzes in your pocket, and you open it out, and you have a news alert uh, from CNN, Fox, whatever it is that you want to listen to. And, and it says uh, that our town, our city here, Johnson City, has been attacked. We don't really know from where, but a military attack is, is happening. And you see that the front line of this battle is your neighborhood. Like your, your community where you live, that's the front lines. Um, how would that news change your plans? Change it dramatically, wouldn't it? There's a difference when we hear, like we can have plans, we can just kind of go through life, do what we need to do, and most of the things we're concerned with in the room this morning, it's not bad things, they're good things. 
Uh, but I think so many of us are completely oblivious and unaware that there's a war happening. Um, there is danger um, in our front yard, if you will, into our homes, in our living rooms. Uh, and it's not just a, a, a war that we're fighting against culture, which a lot of times in the church is what we talk about. We've got to just isolate ourselves from all that's happening out there. And make no mistake about it, we're going to talk about some of those things this morning. Uh, there is a war in our culture that, that's against God that we have to fight. It's almost like we're swimming upstream, right? Like to follow Jesus and to, and to believe, it's we're swimming against the current of everyone else. And there is a war. You have to acknowledge that that's the case. There really is a real enemy that's out to rob you of your joy and attempt to rob God of his glory. That's, that's a reality. There's a war being waged all around us. But may we not be so religiously prideful and arrogant to just think that this stops there, that this war is much deeper than that. It's much more complex than that. It's a war that's happening in our, in our souls. It's a battleground of our mind. There, there's, a, there's a war for your affection. There's a war for what you worship, what you look at and say, that's valuable and I'm going to give worth to that thing. There's a battleground happening in your mind even right now. There's a war happening for your soul. There's a real enemy and we have a real sinful nature that wants to be hostile toward God and at war with him and not submit to King Jesus and all of life. And that's just the reality for every um, single one of us. So it's with that kind of understanding. So let's just kind of uh, have a, that sobering feeling this morning. Um, but it's also a, a glorious feeling because we're going to look today that this battle's already been won. But you can't stop fighting. And when you start to get comfortable is when we really begin um, to be in trouble spiritually. And so I think that's what's happening. I think it's a fair ass assumption to say that what Paul's writing to this church is he's warning them about a war that's happening for their minds, for their worship, for their soul. Uh, and I think today we can submit ourselves to this as well. So we've been looking in all of chapter 1. Uh, we can't go back and re-preach all of those, but you can download our podcast and listen to those, uh, get our sermon notes online, uh, and go back. And we've been looking, though, at the supremacy of Christ, who he is. That Jesus is not just some teacher that lived long ago that has some good things to say. That he is God in the flesh. And it, this changes everything. And so, but last week, uh, Pastor Paul was here and he um, kind of, we see a shift in Paul's arguments. He moves from, not really moves from the glories of Christ, but he looks a little differently. We've been looking at who Jesus is, what Jesus has accomplished, and what that means for us. But then Paul begins to say something about his heart toward them as one of the pastors that he had never been to this church, but he had planted this church from Epaphras, somebody that was a, probably a convert of Paul's ministry. And I just want to go back from last week and, and grab something that Paul uh, unpacked so beautifully. Go back and listen to that sermon if you weren't here last week. It was excellent. Um, but let's look at this uh, from back in chapter 1, verse 24. Uh, this is Paul writing to this, these people, and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings. How in the world can anybody ever say that? And I'm suffering, but I have joy in that. Why? Because he saw that what he was suffering, and he's writing this letter from a prison. He says, what I'm suffering is not just isolated. It's not wasted. This suffering is for what? Say it out loud. More than three people whispering. Come on. Now I rejoice in my sufferings, what? For your sake. He said, I see that what I'm doing in my body, the afflictions that I'm having, this persecution that I'm experiencing, is for you. That's why he could rejoice. He saw that it was bigger than just the moment. 
And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake, there it is again, of his body, that is the church. Again, we unpacked that last week. It doesn't mean anything's lacking in Christ's afflictions for us. It's fully saving. But what's lacking for the Colossians is they couldn't watch Jesus suffer. And so when the people of God endure suffering, it shows something about the suffering of Jesus. It says something unique about it. It says, I'm going to show you how I respond and how I love you and even sacrifice my needs and my desires and my comforts for the good of you because that is who Jesus is. It's what he does. It's what he does. And, and so we see that he loves um, the church and he loves the people of God, but I'm going to argue he loves the people of God because he loves Jesus. Because look in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 25, Paul loved the church because he knew that Jesus loved the church. And so look at what Paul says to another church about Christ and his love for us and the body of Christ. That's bigger than one local gathering, but the church global. As Christ loved the church and he gave himself up, there's for her or for the sake of her. This is in the context of marriage, that husbands are to lay down their lives. The same idea of suffering shows you Christ's afflictions. So as I love my wife, it should show you something about the way Christ loves you and the way Christ loves the church. But again, the context is, we just want to pull out this idea that, listen, Christ loved the church. Do we realize who people are? Church is not an institution. It's not an organization. It's a people. People who are jacked up, messed up, that have all these issues. And he says he loves you. So much so that while you were still a sinner, that he would die for you. Christ loves you. He loves us. He loves this people that he's gathering together. It's much more than just an individual. He loves you, although that's true. He loves an us. He's making an us a people for the glory of his name. And so Paul saw that. He experienced that. He had seen the love of Jesus. Remember, Paul was a skeptic and a terrorist trying to stifle Christianity. And then he gave his life to see the church advance. Why would somebody do that? Why would he say, I'm going to endure hardships. I'm in prison precisely because I was trying to get the gospel to you and to people like you. What would compel someone to do this? To say something like he says to another church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, I will most gladly, again, it's the idea of rejoicing, spend and be spent for your souls. Again, it's the idea of for your souls, for your sake. I will spend my life and be spent. I'm going to have nothing left of my life, and I'll gladly do that. Why? For your souls. In another place in Corinthians, he says that I'm, my joy is your joy, and I'm going to work with you for your joy. There's a self-sacrificing of Paul's life. And let me just, I, I was reading this this week and trying to put this to, to memory and I let the word get in me before it ever comes out. I always try to do that. And um, God just really impressed on me. I want this to be true of my heart uh, as a pastor of this church. Like I want to be able to look at you and say, I want to endure all things for your joy. I will gladly spend my life to see you joyous in Jesus. Like I want to be able to say that. Like I, and in many ways I do, and I love this church, but I'm asking God, give me more of that kind of compassion uh, to look out and not just see uh, people sitting in seats on a Sunday morning, but like family, and I'm committed to you, and I want that kind of uh, compassion. But we can't just say this is just the heart of a pastor to a church or Paul to the church. I think it's true for all of us because we can see some other themes, and we could chase this even more, but I just want to give you a highlight. Um, 
if we love Jesus, so let's just take the pastor hat off of what it means to be a pastor, to sacrifice for the good of the church. I think that's true for every person who would say they're a part of the church. So let's look at uh, 1 John 4, 21. Another um, writer of Scripture, John says, And this commandment we have from him, from Jesus, whoever loves God must. See, this is not conditional. This is not if you feel like it, if it's convenient, if you can find a church that meets all your preferences. But whoever loves God must also love his brother. That if you have a right relationship with Jesus, you will be, your heart will begin to turn toward his people. It's kind of like, we're not going to have a really good relationship if you talk about about my wife every time we're together. Right? Like, we ain't going to be cool. Because she's, she's who I am. We're one. You talk about my girl, like, we got some issues. You can't say you love me and not love my wife. Because we're one. So you can't say you love Jesus if you have a disdain against the church and now listen i understand that the church has been responsible for a lot of evil in the world i've been hurt the most deeply in churches so how do we do this like what in the world would compel us to do this and it's not to say we shouldn't just take things at surface value and be prophetically speaking into the church and to see it redeemed and to be what christ intended it to be uh, but we also can't walk away from it there's something that we have to labor together to figure out what it looks like to live in community because there's a disconnect in our hearts if we say, you know what, I'm not even going to come to church, be a part of the church, or I'm even going to come, I'm just going to kind of sit and consume and leave, but I'm not going to commit. I'm not going to take that next step to really have ownership in what God's doing here. I'm not going to really become vulnerable and show my true self to someone here because I just, I can't do that. I've been burnt too many times. I don't trust you. I don't know if this is real. And, but listen, we've, this has everything to do your involvement in a local assembly, and it doesn't have to even be this church, any church that loves Jesus, plug in there and be engaged there, not just to go through about a bunch of programs to stay busy, <laughs> but to actually have a belonging and a love and a devotion and somebody that can look, that knows you deeply and can speak in to your life. So we see this heart. I've got to get going. I'll camp out on that if I'm not careful. I'm not even to chapter two yet. We said we're going to be in chapter two uh, today. So we see Paul's heart spilling over even into our text today of chapter 2. So let's read uh, verse 1, and I also want to grab verse 5 and put those together because I think you can see uh, this idea playing out. Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. The word struggle is literally the idea of agonizing. He's, I'm agonizing over you. And for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Remember, he had never planted this church. He's just hearing reports about the church. But he says, I have this struggle for you, even though I've not seen you. Verse 5, for though I am absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing. There's that theme of joy again. Rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith uh, in Christ. So again, he's just saying it again. Everything we've been unpacking, I love you. And I'm agonizing over you. And I'm rejoicing, though, because I'm hearing reports that you have a faith in Jesus. That no matter what's going on around you, there's something rooted in you. And I'm just happy about that. I'm happy about that. But then notice verse 2. Because of that love, he says, not only am I going to tell you of my love, and I hope that can kind of give you a ballast to stand against the winds of the culture and what's happening in this church. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he goes a step further. He doesn't just say, I hope that my love for you motivates you. But he prays something for them. Notice verse 2. That their hearts, so... Again, it's all of the saints there, this church at Colossae, these three cities that kind of make up this region, that their hearts may be encouraged. 
being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So it gives this beautiful picture of what church should be. And maybe you read this and go, that's not been my experience with the local church. In many ways, I read this and say, I've tasted this, but I want to go deeper into what this means, that there is a, a, a heart knitting happening. Think even like um, my mother-in-law is all crafty and stuff, and she's made some of the kids a uh, t-shirt quilt. You ever seen these, like t-shirts from uh, back in the day, and they kind of cut them up, and she makes this beautiful mosaic quilt thing out of all these t-shirts with all these memories and it's this idea of all these individual shirts the diversity of the shirts the memories of the shirts and they're knit together they're woven together to form this beautiful tapestry so they're just kind of old junk drawer t-shirts right <laughs> just isolated but when they're under the craft of a somebody has the vision of putting it together it's beautiful and it has a purpose and that's the picture that paul's saying to us he says what it means for us to be in the church is that we would be knit together like that. All the differences that we bring in, all the preferences that we have in this room, um, all, of the, all of the diversity, all the diversity of gifts, all the, our past baggage that we bring in, that we take all of that and we don't live as isolated individuals. But somehow, because of Christ, we are connected together, we are knit together in love. And that there's something about a people who live in unity that, so sh- that shows something of the beauty of Jesus that the world is longing to see that kind of unity. Longing to see us loving one another. But sadly, we look into the church and all we see is division. Why are there so many denominations, so many divisions? And we don't see this unity that what I think that we must fight for. It doesn't mean that we all become alike and we're a cult and we're all the same it means that we maintain our diversity but we're united around the things that matter we're united around jesus and we're knit together in love this self-sacrificing for one another that's what paul is praying for them and he says that their hearts may be encouraged so here's uh, kind of helps us understand what this looks like this knit together is not just some cheap sentimentality and it's not some i love you like i have this emotion for you that's not what he says. He says, I'm praying that your hearts would be encouraged. And heart is not just what you feel. In Scripture, you read, you study the word heart, and it has this idea of your whole self, your intellect, what you think. Yes, your emotions and what you feel, but your will and what you're doing with your life, every part of who you are. So it's not just your emotions. Don't read heart like, I want you to have your heart strengthened and encouraged so that you love one another and be together and not fight. Like, it's not what he's, it's much deeper than that. He goes, I want you all to be knit together at the mind. When you are thinking the same things, when your hearts are encouraged, literally uh, infused with courage, strengthened, built up, like a bodybuilder lifting weights and it builds the muscles, I'm asking for your whole self to be built up that way. And when that happens, he said, then you will be knit together in love because you're united around the things that matter. So it matters what we think. It matters what we submit ourselves to. That your hearts must be uh, encouraged or strengthened. And we do that for one another. We fight the fight of faith to believe together. And without that mutual, listen, if you are just on your own, fighting to believe, trying to take all the doubts, all those lies we were talking about earlier, and fighting those by yourself, listen, you will lose. You're going to lose every time. If you're going to try to keep a perspective that's Godward and really let your life count 
for something that matters and not waste your life, but to leverage it for the glory of God among every nation of this world. Like there's going to be a drift from that if you don't have people around you encouraging you. This is all plural here. And it starts with what we think because this is a really good application. I need to move on very, very badly. Can we just say till 4 o'clock? That'd be awesome. Um, and all God's people said, oh, no, I'm hungry. I didn't bring my holy taco with me. Um, it's this idea that we have to do this um, t- together. But listen, mental starts before the emotions. We say all the time, I can't do this because I don't feel anything toward God yet. Or I'm not going to connect because I don't feel anything. And I feel very disingenuous if I do something that I don't feel. And what the Scripture is telling us is, yes, your emotions need to catch up. But most of the time, the way your emotions catch up in this whole following Jesus thing, and I just call it stumbling forward in faith. I want to walk by faith. Most of the time, I'm just kind of stumbling forward in faith. I'm crawling in faith. I don't walk too well. But it's this idea that I'm strengthening my mind of what I know to be true. And I do so in community. I let other people together. I had a brother this morning in our life group, not this morning, this week, um, have coffee with me. And he said, hey, man, I've noticed you said this, this, and this in life group every week. And I just want to know what you're doing about it. Like, and, and I almost started weeping in the coffee shop because I need people to do that in me. And, and I'm just asking, like, who do you have in your life loving you that much to call you out in grace and love and to say, this is what's true. Derek, you're not believing this, and I'm going to show you right now that this is true. You don't have faith right now, but you can borrow my faith. That's what the community of faith should be. But that means we've got to trust. That means we've got to say no to some things. That means we've got to lean in. So, oh, gosh, I've got to move. That's what true commitment is. That's what true community is, is submitting to the Word of God together by the power of the Spirit in love to show each other Christ. That is what we are after. That's what we're after. And so that's why we're going to go back in chapter 1 here and borrow two verses that Paul talked about. Because listen, sometimes when we say we love each other, if we're not just talking about emotions and ooey-gooey, you just tell me everything I want to hear, sometimes it's getting in the face and it's getting a little hard and it's to love and step on toes. Sometimes you may not want to say amen. You may say ouch kind of thing. I mean, that's, but that's what community is. And are you so brave to let somebody into your life that way? And are you so brave and so humble to say, I'm going to be that for someone else? I'm going to submit. It's a mutual thing. So that's why he says in Colossians 1, 28, he says, Him we proclaim, that Him is Jesus, warning everyone. Warning everyone. Like he's standing up and saying, hey, there's a war happening. Hey, there's a battleground happening for your mind. And because I love you and I'm agonizing over you, so he's sitting in prison. I can just imagine him almost saying no to food, to fast for this church. He's like, I love you and I'm enduring all of this, but I count it joy. So I'm going to warn you. So this is not coming from somebody that is a know-it-all. This is not coming from some self-righteous religious person. It's coming from a pastor who knows his need and his weaknesses and loves a people. He says, I have to warn you. I'm warning everyone. And I'm going to teach everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal, is for us to be like Jesus. The goal is for you to love Jesus and have your joy in Jesus. But sometimes that means you need to be warned. Sometimes that means you have to be on defense a little bit. It's not all just kind of float through life. It's like, hey, I'm not going to say that's wrong, but it makes me nervous that you think that you're saying that. I just want to press in. And you don't just go, hey, Get out of my business. Some of your, some of your, get out of my life. 
Like we can't have that posture toward one another. There is a, a love that says, I'm going to go past just giving you what you think you need. And I'm going to go past just always trying to avoid confrontation. And I'm going to go past the emotions of a kind of surface level, you know, you think the Warriors are going to beat the Bulls record this year kind of thing. And I think they're going to, I'm fingers crossed. Um, and it's saying, I'm going to actually know you well enough to know how to call out sin in your life. And I'm going to allow you to do that back in me. And it's not some, I'm better than you, but it's a, I'm committed to you. And I want to see you mature in Christ. I want to see you love Jesus. So he goes again, it's this word of, I toil. I'm agonizing. I'm struggling. But notice how he struggles with all of his energy. That's the energy of the Spirit of Christ that he powerfully works within me. This is not us doing it on our own. This is not some religious self-righteousness. This is a humility and a boldness that is only produced in the gospel. That says, I'm just as in need of this reproof as you are, so I'm humble. But I also have everything I need in Christ. And even if this makes it uncomfortable between us, I'm going to be bold in your life because I love you. The gospel gives us both. It removes the pride from our life, but also removes us from timidity and causes us to be what we should be. All right. So, so he's going to love us by warning us. All right, but let's look at what he says. The two verses, verse 4 and verse 8. Let's take a look at the warning. What does he warn us of? So, verse 4. I say this, all these things we've been talking about, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I'm saying this, that no one will delude you with plausible arguments. Verse 8. See to it, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and takes you captive by empty deceit. And this philosophy and this empty deceit is according to human tradition and it's according to the elemental spirits of this world. So let's unpack this together, okay? Let's unpack this. Uh, here's a statement that I think is fair of what Paul's saying. To fail to guard what we think or what we believe is to fail to guard our souls. Now, so let's read what he said and see if that's an overstatement. He's like, Derek, that, okay, really? This is what I think. Like, my soul, who I am, really? Well, let's look what he says. He says the word delude. And to, the word delude, we don't say that word anymore. Anybody use delude this week? I think so. Um, to deceive or defraud is the idea. So make sure that no one deceives you. Make sure that no one will defraud you, to sell you a counterfeit. Be on guard. that There's people out there trying to do that. And then there's a temptation in our culture today, and it was true for Timothy. When Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, there's going to come a day when people have itching ears, and they're just looking for people to scratch their ears, not tell them the truth, but just tell them what they want to hear. So beware against that. That's the propensity of your heart to not want people to tell you the truth. That's true for all of us. Can we just be honest about it? It's true for all of us. We don't want that. We don't want to be told the truth um, because it hurts. We'd much rather live in the deception. But what God's inviting us into is to come out of that deception and into the light. Don't, don't let anybody do, to, to delude you. That's so hard to say. This is a ridiculous word, but it's in the Bible, so I have to talk about it. Um, but he says, make sure that it take, does not take you captive. So think about our analogy earlier about that we're under attack from uh, an enemy. And it's this idea of really being captured and kidnapped. So think about all of that as you've seen movies and stuff where that kind of is pictured. This is a violent, 
terrifying, fearful thing that, that is coming in and pillaging our house, setting the house on fire, grabbing your kids and your wife and all that stuff and just running out and taking you into slavery and unbeaten and all those things that would happen in war. He said that's the picture that he gives about what it means about this, this false way of thinking. It will take you captive. So when you're just living your life, thinking you're at peace when you're really at war, if you're not careful, these false ideas are going to come in and, and kidnap you. Capture your soul. It's similar, to, I think, to what Jesus says. Was, you know, what does it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and what? Lose his soul. What good is it if you're advancing in life, acting like everything's okay when it's not? And you're going to lose your soul if you're not on guard against this and, and, and submitting to it. And this is not just a one-time thing. This is a daily, I would say, second-by-second second fight to believe these things to be true. But then he says, here's why I'm warning you and why it's so serious. It's because danger is not always obvious. It's not always obvious because he uses words like plausible arguments. You know what he's saying? It's convincing. The danger of false belief that's apart from Christ, is that it sounds really good. And on the first glance, we say, I want that to be true. It would be a lot easier if it was true to not have to live in community or not have to believe this, that, or the other, to live my life because it's all about me or whatever it is. It's persuasive. It's convincing at first. And then he says um, this idea of philosophy. You know what philosophy is? It's the love of wisdom. Again, I'm not against philosophy. I'm actually kind of a fan of philosophy. I kind of like it. So he's not saying don't study philosophy. But he's, what he's saying is beware of this love of wisdom, this understanding about reality. So these questions that philosophy asks of where do we come from? Do you have any purpose and significance? How can we know anything that we know? And what's the epistemology of the world? All these things that so many of us ask. And he said beware of, of asking those questions. He's not saying don't ask those questions. He's just saying, beware of how you ask them. These ultimate questions about, does God exist? And is there sin? And what's wrong with the world? And is there any hope? And what does a life of purpose and fulfillment mean? And where's all this human history going? There are answers to those questions. But he's saying, don't try to find those answers out there in the world. Because when you begin to believe that, it's not saying don't even understand what they believe. I'm saying, go deeper and ask those questions. Look at what our world says. Especially some of you college students. Lean in to what those atheistic professors are saying. Don't be scared of the questions because God's word will hold up against the scrutiny. It will. So ask those questions. Put it side by side and say, is this true? It's not a a head in the sand. Don't want to look at what's happening in the world. No, no, no. Let's enter into those spaces, but it matters how you do it. Don't make sure that you're not even going to be carried away or kidnapped to believe the lies of the culture. So here's... So it's not always obvious. It's a love of wisdom. He's like, we all want to love wisdom. <laughs> Sounds good. But he says, it's not always obvious. It's a little more subtle than that. But then he says, um, I, I think another fair statement would be, the temptation of these plausible arguments is dangerous because they cannot give what they promise. Because he calls them empty deceit. So they're lying to us. But the, all the promises of every worldview, every religion, any other line of thought that's not submitted to Jesus and his supremacy is empty. It's just empty. It, it doesn't give it what it says it's going to give. It promises all these things, but at the end of that is death and, and just complete nothingness and a cycle of always wanting more, and it'll never fulfill because you weren't made for that. You weren't made for that. So why? 
Why? You, and you guys are getting nervous. I'm not, I'm going to run through those last few verses very quickly, okay? So hang on. Don't be looking at your watch. We're okay. Um, why? And I grew up in the church, and no one ever told me why. Like, I grew up hearing things like this a lot. Of, don't believe that. Submit to Jesus. But, but, but why? That, that's a big question to ask, is why? And so here's a couple reasons that I think he says. False belief cannot satisfy because they're an unreliable source. He says it's from human tradition. You're going to base your life on what another jacked up, limited, finite human came up with. Every worldview, apart from Christ, originated with somebody. What we believe is Christian. You say, well, Derek, isn't what Christianity is all about. We're just reading a book written by men. But we believe this is from God. And all the apostles, if you read them, they say, hey, I'm not giving you my opinion. I heard from God, and I'm just being a messenger of God. This is not something that somebody dreamt up one day. This is from the Lord. Either it's that or it's not. Every other worldview in this life is centered on us. Really, we want to, do you know how deceitful your heart is, how messed up your heart is? <laughs> I know how messed up my heart is, so y'all ain't messed up. I'm messed up. I don't want to trust somebody else's worldview and build my whole life and eternity on it. But I, So I'm going to be on Team Jesus because <laughs> he's eternal. And th- but then another reason, false beliefs cannot satisfy because they have an unfulfilling substance. He says, according to the elemental spirits of this world. That word elemental, you know what it means? It's literally the ABCs. So sometimes I've heard a critique of Christianity that it's too basic, it's too simple, it's too narrow-minded, and we want the depths of all these things out in the world. And what Paul's saying, he's critiquing that every other worldview apart from Christ. He goes, it's not deep enough. It's the ABCs, it's elemental spirits, it's, it's rudimentary, it's foundational, all this stuff. Why would you go live your life on that? So they were looking for other spirits, and uh, Jesus was just one spirit among all these other spirits. And he goes, why would you want to kind of stay in the kiddie pool? When you can jump in the deep end, it's not true. So, again, this is true for our culture of all this false belief of do what makes you happy. You center on it. So it's this postmodern idea that there is no truth, and we make our own meaning. It's all about your fulfillment. And this has crept its way into the church to say God exists to make you happy. And all you're supposed to do is to do all this stuff to make God happy with you so he'll bless you. And then when God doesn't bless you, we get really mad <laughs> And say, I'm out, because he didn't do his part. Again, that's a, that's a false view. So uh, we'll talk next week about legalism, and we'll keep going with some of this. So this is kind of the start of this conversation. But, so come back, and we'll talk more about this. But it's a false belief of our culture that makes its way into the way we view the world. And we've got to critique the mindset of our day to say, is this true? What does the word say? And is Jesus really who he says he is? And so y'all ready to really buckle up? Because I have like, uh, 75% of my notes left, but I'm going to say them in five minutes, so let's do this. Uh, told you, Will. I told you that's what I was going to do. Uh, how do we guard against false belief in our lives? So I'm just going to say these statements quick, okay? We're not going to unpack a lot of this. We don't have time. Uh, but here's some statements. First, be more captivated by the beauty of Christ than the allures of this world. So he says, not according to Christ. That's the context of don't be captivated and carried away by all this empty philosophy, this love of wisdom, this pursuit of life that doesn't work. You know the reason, though? It's not just that it's bad. It's not just that it's wrong, although that's definitely true. Who wants to believe a lie, right? But he says it's even bigger than that. The reason it's so bad is it's not according to Christ. The goal is Jesus. 
He's the ultimate reality. So anything that robs you away from Jesus is bad. So this is not just be a good churchgoer and be like us. You know, think just like us. I mean, there's a variation of all kinds of belief in this room about secondary things. But we must be united around what eternity is contingent upon is what we say about Jesus. So if you're here and you're a skeptic, I'll just ask you to look at the claims of Jesus and start with him. Don't let the church be what keeps you away, although that's definitely look into Jesus. So be more captivated by the beauty of Christ than the lords of this world. Don't just be so obsessed about making sure you know all the counterfeits. Just know the real deal. If you love Jesus so much, if you really begin to see Jesus, it will change you. And it will become so beautiful that when something else is confronted in front of you, you would go, why in the world would I believe that? Why would I go down that path? I've tasted and seen the best. Anything else is going to be to walk away from true joy and true life. And if you don't have an encounter about, with Jesus like that, that's where you need to begin. It's to just fight to see Jesus as more beautiful and as better than anything else in this world. Everything else will fall into place if you see Jesus. That will be what keeps us from pursuing sin. That will be what keeps us from thinking the wrong things. But I have to keep moving. So, second statement. Be made whole by all God is for us in Christ. So, I'm going to read this. Uh, I don't have time. Colossians 2.2 says, To reach all the full riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 9. For in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. See what it says? If you want to make sense of life, look to Jesus. He has answers. Compare it to everything else that you're, we have temptations to believe. But in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Anything that you could want to know or want out of life, it, it makes sense around Jesus. And I would argue it's the only worldview in this world that can do that. So study it, look at it. But then he says, in him is the whole fullness of deity. He is God in the flesh, fully God. We don't have time to unpack that because we've talked about it for the last four weeks, five weeks, to so go back and read those, listen to those sermons. Uh, but Jesus is fully God. He's full. So meaning, he's not just a spirit, he's everything. He is God. What do you do with that? And you have everything you need in him. He's full of God. You look at Jesus, you get all of God. <laughs> So then he says, so if you are in him, we are not lacking. If Jesus is full, not lacking in anything, he says, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. You've been filled in him. That word filled literally is the idea of complete, whole, made healthy. It's the same word when Jesus um, would touch a leper when he was here on this earth and would do a physical healing and says, you are healed and you're completely healthy. It's the same idea. So the miracles were just a picture of what he does for us spiritually. When he touches us, he leaves us completely healthy. There's no infirmity left. And do you believe that's what's true of you? That if you're in Christ and if we've submitted to him and he's in us, that you're whole. You don't lack anything. Everything you need, if you are in Jesus, you have. You don't need to go find it in another philosophy. You don't need to go find it in a girl or sex or um, running and pursuing these things or to get more money, more power, more comfort. You don't need those things because you have everything in Jesus. He's full. And if you're in him, so you are now filled. So here's the dilemma. It's the contrast of what Paul's doing. And I wish we could unpack more. Um, maybe we'll hit it again next, some next week. 
Um, Here's the option. Empty philosophy, this way of living, this way of thinking that's just empty. It doesn't make sense of the world. It's all incomplete. It's going to leave you lacking and and, and end up in eternity apart from God if you reject Christ. Emptiness. That's what he says. Why would you do that? Be on guard. You can have that or you can have the fullness of Jesus. (laughs) He's full. He's everything that you need. He's God and that's what your soul was made for. It's about your joy again. So I'm going to show you Jesus. And if you're in Jesus and you submit to that, that means you repent of your way and your thinking and all the thinking of this world, and you submit to Jesus as Lord. What he says is, I'm going to fill you. You'll be complete. I'm going to heal you. You have no more infirmities. You have no, nothing else lacking. You don't have to go to anything else horizontally because you have everything you need vertically. It's beautiful. It's, and only the gospel can offer us that. Only the gospel. So, as a way of response, if you'll bow with me uh, this morning. And head bowed, eyes closed. Uh, and our team's going to come up to lead us in some songs. We're going to ask that God would do this in us. But here's just some things that I want us to press into. So if you really will, keep, keep on board. Church service is not over, okay? It's not over. He goes on and says, Therefore, as you receive Christ, so walk in him. So walk in him. It's this manner of life. That just as you receive God by grace through faith, not of yourselves, it is, it is the gift of God, so you must walk that way. Your manner of life. Fully submitted to Jesus. He says rooted and built up in him. And abounding in thanksgiving. So listen, so there's some of you today that need to be rooted. Christianity is about being connected to the source of life. That is Jesus. It's not about external behavior modification. It's not about trying hard. It's not even about thinking the right things. It's about getting to a place where we submit and say, God, I want to connect my life to you. You are the source of life. So I want to be connected to you. And if you try to be religious without that happening, you're going to be miserable. Please don't buy that lie. Don't settle for that. But if you get rooted into him, it changes everything. You say, Derek, how can I be rooted in him? Well, we didn't get the time to talk about it today, but it says he has delivered us. He's done everything possible for us to be reconciled. He lived the life we couldn't live, and Jesus died our death, paid the penalty for our sin. This record of sin that was against us, he signed it, paid it in full, rather so that we wouldn't have to. That there is a, a forgiveness that's offered. That he says that he took everything that you've done in your life, and he said that he nailed it to his cross. He paid it. So listen, you can pay for your sin forever and eternity apart from him in hell or you can trust that Jesus has already paid the debt. And it says he's conquered over all of our enemies, that he is victorious because Jesus is victorious. So now we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So the question is, are you rooted in him? Is your life in him? Are you looking to anything else, any other idea or worldview, banking your life on it? That's just not real. It's empty, it's hollow. So what lives are you believing? Are you rooted in him? If you're, not, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about that. You can submit to Jesus right in your seat where you are. But if you have more questions, we would love to talk to you about that after the service. I'll be out in the hub. I'd love to chat. But for the rest of us that are rooted in him, he says, then his prayer is that we would be built up in him. Growing in who we already are in Jesus. To rest. That he's finished it. But there's still a pursuit that we have. We have to guard our thinking. So what ways have we gotten lazy in this pursuit? Ways that we're believing that God isn't really good? 
And so what we want to do is just to declare two songs. One is he's our cornerstone, which means all of life is only going to be built around Jesus if it's going to stand. So we're going to confess, God, you are our cornerstone. We build our life on you no matter what happens. Even when the darkness seems to hide your face, I'm resting on your amazing grace. And then we're going to ask God to give us faith (laughs) to really believe that this is true. So let's stand as a way of response uh, and sing these things together.